you can use your skill sets of like, you know, how to have a good conversation, how to build rapport, how to be naturally, you know, if you are naturally curious and you can ask great questions, like, you can sell if you can do that. And if you really take the lens of sales being a profession where we help people, you know, I think it's a it's a completely different way to look at this profession that's so, it's just, it's amazing. Showing up to a call and saying, I don't care if I sell you anything, I just want to help you solve a challenge. So what is that? Tell me about the challenge. And then hopefully it's something that we actually can sell you. And if not, let's figure out if we know somebody who can help you. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Samantha McKenna. Sam is the founder at Sam Sales Consulting. In our conversation today, we start off by talking about the biggest challenges that sellers are facing today and how collectively we can address them. We dive into the habits that sales leaders and sellers alike need to adopt to increase the odds of success during the length of their careers. We also try to answer the question of whether there's anything new in sales, and if there isn't, then why are we still struggling to successfully train and educate sellers to achieve consistent levels of success? Well, we get into all this and much, much more. Before we get to Sam, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And let's jump into it with Sam McKenna. Sam, welcome to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me. Finally, I'm so excited to meet you. Well, likewise. I mean, we said we've been following each other, but we haven't actually met. <laughs> First time for everything. Yeah, yeah. So um, where are you joining us from? I am in Washington, D.C. I guess technically the burbs, right? I'm not in the city. People get people get their feathers ruffled when you say that. So I'm in oh. I'm in Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia. Okay, that's fine. Out where the <laughs> Kennedys used to live, and so on. The, the compound there. That's what you that not not quite there. Uh, okay. I'm uh, close close enough though. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, looking through your background, you know, as we all do, right? We cyber, you know, stalk, gently stalk people a little bit before they come yes. to the show. So you have an interesting entry in your background. This is very unique. You're a lifeguard for Disney. So <laughs> yes. ex explain that a lifeguard for Disney. Cause I was a lifeguard too, but I was uh, not for, not for Disney. I, though I did it in Japan. That was unique, but anyway, See, yours is infinitely cooler than mine. Uh, no, one, of my, one of my buddies in math class had a job as a lifeguard at Disney. And I'm like, how are you getting paid to work at Disney? I need to find out how to do this immediately. No, so which, you go which Disney where? Now, this was in uh, Orlando, Florida, so okay. in proper proper Disney World, not the Disneyland Disney on, on your other side of the, the world, right. on your other coast. Um, but I was at Typhoon Lagoon, which is the coolest park. It has an enormous um, t tidal wave pool, right. and it's so much fun. So you have to try out. You have to tread water holding your arms above water for two minutes. You have to yeah. kick your little legs and yeah. all these other things, and I got the job. Um, but I'll tell you... Not only was it the absolute best job because you get a world-class training on customer service from Disney at the age of 16, mm -hmm. but they also had the best grilled cheese sandwiches there ever that you got for $2 as an employee. I still remember it. I'm slightly older than 16 today, and I still remember those things. Right, right. And whenever somebody went down a slide, I cannot tell you how many people would give the lifeguards a hard time and would say, help. And at Disney, there's no, you don't get to use judgment. If somebody's saying in. help, you move. Yeah. Right. So you get to jump off your lifeguard stand and go down the slides. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could go down the slide. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Quick, quickest path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they pass by you, right, there's a long slide that they're going to and they say, oh, lifeguard help. You got it. You get to your like, <laughs> you got it, man. I'm coming after you and uh, and go in. But it was, it's also my first experience to a fake ID. So we can really take this direction in so many so many this for this conversation in so many directions. Wait, how's, the, how's the fake ID involved with with uh, okay. Disney? Okay, here's the thing. Everybody goes to Disney as part of a college program. So everybody that's coming up, you know, to work as a lifeguard over the summer is 18 or older. They have a big college program there. And I was only 16, and you had to be 18 to get into the to the nightclubs at Disney. So everyone yeah. kept asking me to go because they would have a, an employee night on Thursdays. And I always made up an excuse. I was like, Oh, I'm busy, I'm so popular, I already have plans. Yeah. And so finally, I just got a fake ID and um, talk about needing an eye for attention for detail. I used my fake ID the first time I went out and it immediately got confiscated because it said Florida on it instead of Florida. <laughs> so I was mortified. I crawled into my little shell and I went home. <laughs> but then did you go back with another 
better. No, 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 I got my, I got my hand slapped and I was terrified to break the rules. I'm not, I'm a good, I'm a rules follower unless I'm driving and then forget it. All bets yeah. are off. Katie barred the door. Right. Um, yeah, I got, got the speeding tickets to prove that one. <laughs> All right. Lifeguard for Disney. I would have liked that with the slide. I love water slides. I it was mean, so much fun. Yeah. yeah. And the principles that they taught you. I use I use some of their principles in my sales trainings today. It's, What's, it's, well, it's amazing. What's the one you still use? Um, so we talk about the question behind the question all the time. And mm-hmm. when we say that, right, at Disney, one of the first things they train you on that, that first or second day is what is the most popular question that Disney gets? Do you have any, any guesses, Andy? What could it be? Where are the restrooms? See, that's what everybody guesses. Most popular question that Disney gets is what time is the three o'clock parade? parade. What time is the three o'clock parade? <laughs> so if you were like 95% of sales reps, you're saying Grant's tune. <laughs> who who was it? Um, you say, Andy, it's a three o'clock. Does that answer your question? And you kind of look at me bewildered and you say, Yeah. And then you high five yourself and you walk off and you think you've done a great job. Or if you are a Sam sales trained sales mm-hmm. rep, you say it's a three o'clock and I have a few more things to tell you about that, but tell me first a little bit why you're asking, or you're trying to look at the situation. Are they tall? Are they short? Are they kids wheelchair? Right. They want to go to the bathroom. They want to space mountain while everybody else watches the parade. What are right. they really asking? Cause it sure as hell isn't. What time is the three o'clock parade? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it could be, <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could be that incompetent. It's, it's yeah. a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're giving them the benefit of the doubt here. After, you know, they've been in the hot sun in Orlando for, <laughs> Six hours with five screaming kids with their children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. three o'clock. Where can I, mystery, where can I park mystery, these right? kids? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and where can I buy a beer? Uh, that could be a third question. <laughs> where Where can I get hammered while my kids watch the parade? Maybe that's the question. <laughs> that's the question, man. The question. So, well, with that introduction, tell us <laughs> what you do. So I have been in enterprise sales for about 15 years. I spent half my career as an individual contributor. <clears throat> then I um, mistakenly thought I wanted to go in leadership, which I'm just kidding. I actually loved being in leadership so, so much. Well, why did you, why did you say it's a mistake? You know, no, it's it's so funny. I think so many people think that leadership is the the most obvious next path, right? But right. I think you you really need to have some characteristics about yourself to want to get into leadership and then to be successful at it. And le- lucky for me, you know, it was it was the right move. It's definitely what I want to do. But it's not it's not for everybody, right? It, um, I think a lot of people just think think it's the next step. Um, and then. Uh, I, you know, spent some time uh, blowing my my quota out, broke a bunch of records, and then I uh, broke my final, my 13th sales record while I was at LinkedIn. And then finally said, you know what, I wonder, I wonder what I can do on my own. I wonder, take the scariest step, right? And sell mm-hmm. yourself as a service instead of your product. And that is super scary. Um, but I started Sam Sales three years ago, almost to the day. And um, we now do sales training. We write sequences for a ton of companies. We do social selling training. We speak. We do executive branding on LinkedIn. There's a whole heck of a lot that we do. Um, but we're an all women team of 14, and we have almost 160 clients. So we've done we've done all right uh, in the last last That's three cool. years. So yeah. all women. All Is women. Because you can't find qualified men. <laughs> It's not by design, so it's really, really interesting. Well, I'll give you yeah. quick. It's just because you weren't available, Andy. Yeah. Um, quick background: One of my um, after I got married out of college, um, my my prior husband was an officer in the army, and we got stationed in Korea first. So I wasn't too far from you and your your Japanese uh, mm-hmm. stint there, Andy, and then went well, to Germany for three years. Separated by mere decades. But just- by mere. De- <laughs> But we're so close still. And um, one of the fascinating things that I found was that I was stationed in Germany, about an hour north of Frankfurt, kind of middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it was me and, you know, let's say the 20 closest friends that I had there were all former titans of industry. You see what the the commander's wife was a like a number two at Fannie Mae. She literally made decisions that impacted your interest rates and she had nothing to do now. Uh, We had people with multiple master's degrees from Boeing. Etc. And it got right. me thinking, how how are we not making use of this talent? So right. the very first person I hired was a military spouse uh, for Sam Sales, right. and I'm super proud to say that 50 percent of our staff um, is either an expat or a military spouse. Oh, and we, that. yeah, so uh, you know, there's more women in the in that that realm, but 
Yeah, I think we've got we've got a pretty pretty special thing going on, and I'll tell you, we probably get once a day we get um, uh, so some email or in mail from from a guy who's like, "I'm gonna be your first male employee," and we're like, "Okay, submit your resume." Yeah, yeah go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's so interesting. I think that yeah, the military spouses are probably a really undertapped resource in general. I mean, as well as, as well as veterans. I mean, that's, that's the other part. I mean, we've, anyway, go ahead. No, you, you have, you, I'll tell you our head of enablement, um, and our VP of strategy is a gal named Kim Collins. And she was one of our expat spouses. She used to be a PR and communications director for senators on the Hill. Mm. And then she really took a tumble in her career and came to Sam sales. Um, (laughs) but I mean, just incredible, you know, our head of creative used to be director of marketing for a country music label. We do not deserve a single person that we have on our team. And in fact, um, Paige, who heads up our marketing, uh, was was uh, worked for five years at the University of San Diego and traveled to unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable far off lands, you know, with dignitaries, and then came to Sam Sales. Um, so we're really just the last resort for for <laughs> for everybody. People like anything else. Yeah, but you know what? What's incredible to me and what's really inspiring, especially about the sales profession, is that you don't need decades of experience to nail this. You need a brain, you need process, you need the ability to learn, you need discipline. And if you have those things, we can teach you the rest. Because for for Kim, our head of enablement, who teaches this for a living, Mm. when I asked her to come on board three years ago, she was like, listen, I can't spell the word sales, let alone teach it. Mm. Uh, And I'm like, come here and I will show you how to do it. And you right. listen to her and it's like, she's been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I <laughs> wrote with this in my first book is that, yeah, sales is for people who want to think. Yeah. Right? right. I mean, if, if you just want to follow a script and be a robotic, go work in a assembly line somewhere. Right. I mean, yeah. if that's what you want, if something's very repetitive and everything's the same, and unfortunately, I think one of the real problems that exists or more globally in sales is, is there's been more of this emphasis over the years as well. We can make this really cookie cutter yeah. because, hey, we've defined an ICP and, you know, and the persona within those companies you talk to. And when you ask questions, this is what they're going to say, right? They've all got these. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's going to be similarities, yeah. but if you think they're the same, then you're going to miss the opportunity altogether because the opportunity is where they're different, not where they're the same. And I, I love that you can you can use your skill sets of like, you know, how to have a good conversation, how to build rapport, how to be naturally, you know, if you are naturally curious and you can ask great questions, like you can sell if you can do that. And if you really take the lens of sales being a profession where we help people. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a completely different way to look at this profession. That's so, it's just, it's amazing showing up to a call and saying, I don't care if I sell you anything. I just want to help you solve a challenge. So what is right. that? Tell me about the challenge. And then hopefully it's something that we actually can sell you. And if not, let's figure out if we know somebody who can help you. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody, I think I remember it was a guest on the show recently, but it was Tom, I, yeah, I made a career when I was running sales teams and tech startups is, is hiring engineers to be salespeople. Mm. And these are complex technical products, but didn't need engineers to sell. I just thought, well, let's sort of save the issue. I don't need a, two heads to sell. If, <laughs> I don't need a sales engineer and a seller if I've got somebody that's really <laughs> technically competent. And yeah, again, we didn't have a lot of money. And so I approached the engineers and said, yeah, have a conversation, eventually get around to the fact, yeah, I'd love you to come over and try. Have you ever thought about trying sales? Oh, I can't do that. I said, well, why? Well, because I, I can't convince somebody to buy something they don't need. I said, well, that's perfect because yeah. that's not what we do. Right? <laughs> what we do is we help solve problems for people. Yeah. Isn't mm-hmm. that what you do as an engineer? You solve problems. You're sitting here, you're solving problems. Oh, yeah. Well, I can do that. I said, perfect. Come give we it know. a try. <laughs> Right, if your perspective and the perspective is everything, right? If you think your pers- job is, and I write about this in my new book, is if you think your job is to persuade somebody as a seller, then yeah, that's going to lead you to have these salesy behaviors that everybody hates. But if you think your job is to help solve problems, ooh, different path altogether. 
Completely. I, re- I remember my my first solutions engineer ever um, has no idea the amount of sales lessons he taught me about challenging, about getting people to think differently. And mm-hmm. when I said to him once, I, w- I said, why don't why don't you come into sales? You're always grumpy that we make all the money and you're here helping us sell. Like, why don't you do this? And he right. said, Sam, I went to Berkeley. That'd be a waste of my talents. And I was like, Seth. <laughs> And then he tried sales and it actually, it didn't, it wasn't the right profession for him. And I was like, see, buddy, it is a challenge. It is hard. And your education is worthy of this, this profession. Um, but it's, it also, it also isn't for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I went to FSU. So listen, (laughs) I don't have much of an educational leg to stand on there. (laughs) Yeah. And my first, first job out of school is yes. Selling you know, room full of computer equipment, <clears throat> but yeah, the boss, the ultimate boss, the branch manager, he, he was hard to persuade. I hmm. direct because I went to Stanford. Oh, uh, yeah. And he said, Oh no, you went to Stanford. You're going to leave in a year. You want to go to graduate school, blah, blah. I said, no, I, I had no plans. Honestly, I had, <laughs> I had no plans. When I graduated. I was no plans. That's why I was sitting in his office. Um, no thought I'd be in, in sales. But yeah, he had this thing. It's like, yeah, no, no, you're Stanford. The, the yeah. air, the, 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 whatever it is, the judgment on, um, the educational background, yeah. whether you have it or somebody else does. Yeah. yeah. Obviously it's, it worked. Yeah. Stuck because decades, decades later, still doing it. Um, Here you are. <laughs> well, but it talks to this whole issue about not judging people. Cause you know, one of the things that, um, you still hear, and I just heard recently about, sales engineers, solution engineers, whatever we call solution consultants is, is, um, well, yeah, you know, they don't really have the temperament, you know, they don't have the people skills to be, you know, a seller. And it's like, Oh, seriously, really? Are we still doing this? <laughs> I mean, is, yeah, as I said, I made a living out of hiring engineers to come in sales and sell these large complex, you know, seven, eight, nine figure deals. I didn't need a salesperson. I needed, but they were all fine. I think, you know, there's a sense that some of the sellers have these, you know, exquisitely developed people skills. And if that were the case, why do we have these stories about, you know, people hate salespeople? Completely. Right. Or why, why are people like, like me in business for sales training to teach you how to do it? If we, if you already know how to do it, you have these incredible people skills, you wouldn't need us. Right. But I, I think, I think that's what I love about this profession too, is that, whatever your background is, right? Again, just thinking about who you are as a person can make you really successful. I think it's also why, you know, we we give all of our sales trainings away to obviously anybody in the military since we're super supportive of that, but we yeah. also do it for anybody that's a transitioning teacher. And we know that so there's so I'm, many, so lots many of teachers. teachers. In sales. Lots of teachers in sales, yes. And I love it too, because, you know, we, we were just talking to someone and we actually helped place uh, someone at one of our clients. Um, they were looking for BDRs. And I said, listen, we just gave away 200 subscriptions to our shorts to teachers. Do you want us to send them all a note and say you're hiring? And they were like, sure. So we ended up placing someone. And I remember when she got the job, she was like, you won't believe what I'm making. And she told us, I think her base salary as an SDR was $65,000. And she's like, I can make another $30,000 if I'm successful. And we're like, we know, go get them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love that. Twice what would have been as a teacher. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just even the base salary. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to grade on the weekends. You know, I mean, it's, it's, but it's amazing. And you think about teachers as a skill set too. They're, they're here to teach you. They're here to solve a challenge. They're here to figure mm-hmm. out what you don't know and what they need to teach you to get to where you need to be, which is basically what we do with our clients if we're consultative, right? Right. Tell, tell us what you know. How do you do it? Let us tell you where we can kind of fill in the gaps and help you guys out. Yeah, I would say that of the <clears throat> thousand plus guests now that I've interviewed on the show that, yeah, the number one profession people came from if they didn't start in sales was teaching. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's what an what an easy and obvious transition. Maybe a scary one, right? And I think a lot of a lot of teachers downplay themselves. Who would want me in tech? Well, a lot of you would want. Well, a lot of us would want you in tech. A lot of us would want you in sales. Yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> more women in sales would be great. Yeah. What's um, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. So let me ask a question. So, from your perspective, you're talking to a lot of clients. You're working with a lot of clients. Um, so, what's the sort of biggest challenge facing sellers today? 
I think we've got two things. So I think one, we we're doing ourselves a disservice by not teaching them the true basics and foundations of sales. And mm-hmm. I think we get a lot of people who say, you know, I want to learn how to negotiate. We want to learn how to sign multi-million, multi-year deals. And we're like, that's so great. How are your discovery calls? And they're like, oh, they're atrocious, but mm-hmm. <laughs> help us negotiate. And we're like, wait. Um, so I think that's one of the things, right? Are we really focused on the foundations? And then you know, how to write a great email, how to have a good conversation. Do you know how to be an active listener? Do you know how to ask a question? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of our second thing, right? When we think about the next stage of sellers, the the up-and-comers, if you think about I think I'm a millennial by like six minutes or so. So I'm I'm on that, I'm on that cusp, right? And I think when you Gen Gen Z and Millennial? No, no, no. But okay. what is it? What's what's the one? Gen X, what's the one older? Gen X. Okay, yeah. So Gen, I, yeah, I turned I turned forty one. Don't tell anyone um, this summer. Um, but this Andy, this is when you say you don't look forty one. I'm like oh, Andy, go on. Anyway, so I am a millennial. Right. Should we do that again? So I get the cue. <laughs> So you don't you think, they, Wow, Andy, how nice of you to say. Oh my yeah. gosh, you stop it now. Um, so when you think about our mid-millennials to our Gen Zs, right? What you've got is you have people who communicate in a completely different way. Oh, Right. And it's, it's fascinating. I actually wrote, um, I wrote something about this with my, when I met my husband's friends. So my husband is 38 and his friends are about that age, maybe a few years younger. And they're, they're again, a different, different generation. And all they do is talk at each other. That's how they exchange information. This is what I had for lunch. You tell me what you had for lunch and so forth. And Andy, you and I did nothing in our pre-show, but ask each other questions, mostly about Trader Joe's and travel, but Hey, that's it. So teach Right. The important stuff. But it's amazing when you think about that with sales. I think that's our second thing is we're not even considering that we have to teach a whole generation of people not only how to write and how to do these things, right? How to write a great sales email, how to think about what our buyers are thinking about when they get that, but how to people, right? How to have a conversation, how to ask a question, how to be interested, right? And what somebody else has to say. It's wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I wrote about this in my latest book is, is, we make this assumption that people coming into the workforce these days know how to do these things, right? I mean, they're a person. Shouldn't they know how to have a conversation, how to strike up a conversation, how to ask a great question, how to be interested in somebody else? But we look at how people are communicating as they're growing up these days. Yeah. It's just different, right? I mean, they're not bad people. There's, it's all messaging-based, right? Completely. I mean, I think when I was growing up, Ages and ages ago, we spent all of our time on the phone, right? That's how we that's how we talk to our friends. We mm-hmm. didn't have asynchronous messaging. And so, you know, <laughs> so much of the communication these days is done asynchronously. And I mean, hell, I do a lot more. I hardly talk on the phone anymore other than work, right? It's weird when someone calls you, you're like, oh, right, I died. Right. We're all using messaging. <laughs> but yeah. we learn the other skills first. Uh, yeah. And so we have to assume that we have to help. People learn how to have conversations, and that's okay. And they want to. I and mean, they're coming into this profession. They want to do a good job. They want to learn. So let's let's teach people. As I say, before we teach people how to be a seller, let's teach them how to be a human first. Right. And then I, I think you make such a good point too. When we think about enablement, right, and we think about what we're focused on, one of one of the things that I see a lot of organizations focus on is how to sell our product. And I'm like, that's a great, fantastic. What are you doing to teach them how to sell, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe we teach them how to people, we teach them how to be a human, and then it's right into, okay, here's everything you need to know of how to sell Sam sales. Instead of being like, here's how to pick up the phone. Here's how to social sell. Here's what your LinkedIn profile should say, Mm -hmm. right? All that kind of basic stuff. You have to really focus on that because you're, that's also how we're retaining talent. Our younger generations, especially, they want to know how to do their jobs effectively, Yes. And even, right, we think about sellers who have been doing this 20, 25, 30 years. Guess what? It's probably been a minute since they learned how to do a great discovery mm-hmm. call. Probably haven't refreshed that in 10 years. So mm-hmm. let's take them through that, right? Everybody can use uh, a refresher on those things if not well, learning them for the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's – you can even take it further. I know I've talked to some companies, uh, sales leaders have been on the show, is, is you know, they show people how to – you know, sort of this onboarding period is not just, oh, we got six weeks, we're really going to, or you know, 12 yeah. weeks, we're really going to blast people through this. So it's like, 
Well, first of all, not everybody learns at the same rate, right? So are you just going to sacrifice those that, that can't learn at that same rate? Or, and then secondly is, is yeah, they've got a bigger picture. Like this one company I said is great talking to sales leaders. So I'm like, well, you know, we help them open their first Schwab account, right? Yeah. They're going to make money. We're going to yeah. show them how to open an investment account. We're going to teach them about, you know, things that make them more of a whole person. Yeah. Just, you, just fantastic. It'll just not, let's not assume people know that. And I think you, you talk about the, let's, let's punch them through onboarding and then get them out on the phones and in the field. I equate that to the people who take like the, the diet pills, right? They want that quick fix. They just want the results as quick as I possibly can and move them through. But let's think about the slow burn. Let's think about doing it the right way. Let's think about that consistent teaching and that consistent reinforcement over the course of 12 months, right? What are you teaching? What's one new thing they're learning every month? What's one way you're reinforcing what they learned last month? That's the, that's the way to do it. And I'll tell you, the talented reps, the people who can be successful, and then the ones that are getting invested in by their companies, those are the people that stay because they're learning and they don't want to move and risk such a good thing. So you've got great leadership. If you're teaching them something, talk about a way to make money just in the lack of attrition that you have in your organization. Yeah. Well, right. So A, sales leaders, and this is, this is yeah, immediately to some degree, it's more of a SaaS issue, you know. Yeah tech drone, you know, VC drone and so on is, yeah, we got 90 days and, and I challenge the leaders to say, so do you have any data that says that those that learn more in 90 days, as those that maybe take six months are ultimately more successful for you that, mm-hmm. you know, they turn out to be the better seller or is the one that takes a little bit longer to sort of have it make sense. They turn out better. And no one has any data either way, right? We're just assuming we're going to shove these people and be quote unquote fully productive in ninety days. It's like that's nuts. I mean, it's like we all we all know the examples. Well, maybe it's this is more of <laughs> I don't sound like a guy thing, but is yeah, you know, in athletics is yeah, you know, people come out of college, they're going to play professional sport, yeah, and they're yeah you know, really great at the college level. They get in the pros and they struggle, yeah. Then suddenly two years in. It clicks, right? They flourish totally. It starts making sense, you know, whether it's in soccer or in basketball or whatever. It's like we don't give people that room anymore. Right? I, I, yeah, I think there's something in our minds, right, where if we take them out of onboarding and we put them on the clock, it's like, okay, they're going to start performing now. And I, I think it's it's like that, right? Like the sooner we can get them done with onboarding and we can say onboarding's done, that means they're gonna start performing when it just isn't the case, right? right. So let's give them, let's give them a ramp. Let's trust the process. Let's make sure they're doing the right things and continue to invest in them. Well, like I said, how we teach people and how we want them to learn is is yeah, not to date myself unnecessarily, but to a larger degree, when I started in sales, it was sort of an apprenticeship. Right. I mean, you really, if you really want to learn, you sort of got a mentor, you know, with one of the more senior people and you, you shadowed them, you followed them around, you looked at what they yeah. did. I mean, I certainly did. Uh, Cause I had no freaking idea what I was doing when I started <laughs> and the training didn't really help. I mean, it helped sort of from us. Yeah. That's kind of useless. Um, school perspective. I really learned from, you know, the senior people and peers and so on. And, and, yeah, I had a number to hit because I had to hit a certain number in order to go to the next stage of training and so on. So I I did feel some pressure in that regard to get that next level of training because that then enabled me to start selling bigger stuff. But it wasn't like, yeah, I knew there was a, a deadline. It was like maybe a year or so if you couldn't get to that next level. But in the meantime, yeah, you were sort of learning it. And they all, it's like they knew everybody was going to sort of progress at different rates. And mm-hmm. You just took a longer, longer term view of it. It's interesting. The, the, so I found, I realized that two of the most pivotal jobs in my career, um, in my career in sales, I turned down the first time that I got offered that. And that's, inc- that's including the very first job I ever had in sales. Cause I saw the sales professionals like, Ugh. 
Um, you know, like most people do, which we still have a lot of work to change that perception. But it, my role was exactly what you described, right? So I, I had an account manager role, which was fantastic. I got to go in, right? Again, I was selling enterprise and again, could barely spell that word. Um, but I was trying to figure that out. And then I had, I had a mentor. We had a very small company, 25, 26 million in revenue annually, like just nothing. And um, I paid attention to everything the CEO said until he's like, I think you've got potential to bring in that new business. And I was like, you're out of your mind. Um, and then he just dropped me in the, the, you know, in the water and dunked me in and said, go figure it out. And I, I think it's it's that, right? Like I had runway because I worked for a smaller company, but you know, I kept learning. I kept asking. There was no training program. We had no onboarding. We had no right. anything. Um, but you know, so even if you don't have that, if you've got great mentors, or God, what I would have killed for all the LinkedIn influencers that we have now that are actually teaching you tangible, practical things, not the fluffy stuff like some people out there who are like, go be inspiring to your leaders today. And you're like, <laughs> Wow. Riveting. Thanks for that. Take that to the bank. Um, but what I would have killed to learn, you know, things to say, how to close an email better, how to start a discovery call. Um, so I, I think it's a, I love the fact that I had the small experience that I didn't work for a sales force or, or some conglomerate that was just going to, you know, expect everything out of me and then spit me out six minutes later. I love that I had the chance to figure it out, get a mentor, learn, crash and burn quite a bit. God, I can't imagine what my first email sounded like. Probably awful. Um, and then and then figure it out as I go, right? Thankfully, I had someone who invested in me. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of amusing at the differences is between <laughs> here talking about how you close a, you know, email must have been horrible. I was thinking, okay, my first two years in the job selling. <laughs> One of my, you know, best outreach tools was, you know, handwritten postcards. Yeah. Well, I... Um, yeah, you didn't want to see my writing necessarily. But, <laughs> but. Yeah, I do that stuff. I think, you know, those are, there's still so much room for that. I'm a massive fan of thank you notes, of handwritten right. mail. Yeah. yeah, sending little things in, in the mail still. I love that. I send books um, sometimes. And I think just an interesting way to stand out and say, I love this book, value my two. And then hope, hope, So hope, you're, hope. Send, you're sending my book? I definitely, yep. And Andy, listen, I just ordered 6,000 copies of it, buddy. So, <laughs> okay, I'll look for that check. Um, <laughs> Todd, Todd Capone has me on commission. If I sell a thousand of his books, he's going to give me a dollar. So I'm oh, working against nice, that quota. Nice. That's, 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 that's a good, that's a good, good job. He's, right, right he's, he's a generous right, guy. Right, what can I say? Yeah. Tenth of a cent per book. Excellent. Um, well, so sort of following up on that is, is, <laughs> What's as sales sellers, what's sort of the, the biggest lie we tell ourselves? Hmm. The, the biggest lie we tell ourselves as sellers is this deal's going to close. <laughs> <laughs> the, the amount of happy years, right? And it's funny, we even talk to sellers about happy years. They're like, we never heard of that. And we're like, I'm, but listen, you have and you're aware of them every single day. Um, uh, my, my first sales training was that untold number of years ago. It was uh, Mr. Big Ears, it was called, but yes. <laughs> I think the other thing, you know, where where I think we've got opportunity and we we kind of lie to ourselves is that um, people are responsible for us help helping us hit our quota. And what I mean by that, right, is if you look at if I look at the majority of sellers, even when I was at LinkedIn, right, and I talked to my my reps, my leaders, mm -hmm. uh, and said, "What's our expectation for self sourced opportunities?" and they looked at me like I had three heads, and they're like, "What do you mean, right?" And well, the reaction was, look, we're LinkedIn. We don't have to do that. The reaction is we're Salesforce. We don't have to do that. We're outreach. We don't have to do that. And the truth is, if you want to be consistently successful, nobody else is going to be in charge of your destiny than you. Right. And I think when you think about that, right, you get your, it's January 1 or whatever fiscal year you're on, calendar you're on, you get your quota. Let's say it's a million bucks. You do that quota math. You look at your pipeline that you have now, bleed over from last year, you work your way backwards and you figure out what you have to do to to be successful by yourself. No SDR, no inbound, no referrals, nothing. Figure it out. And then everything else is icing on the cake. So when I hear when I hear reps complain, right? There's there's companies that are full of in um, uh, outlandish expectations for quota, right? Our ACV is twelve thousand dollars. Takes a nine month sales cycle, and we want five million from each rep. Right. Cool, right. definitely going to happen. But for the ones that are are reasonable, right, that still fall in that seven fifty to a million dollar quota category, when you think about it, you can do it by yourself. And then everything else yeah. is is again icing on the cake. 
Yeah, that's such an important point. Is is um, yeah, I published a, a book, and he actually it was in digital format, a real book, as a sales planner. And just as you talked about, you start at the beginning. It's like I call it. You're calculating your lead deficit. God. So, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm going to get a certain amount of inbound leads, right? Uh, and yeah, they're good, right? Uh, but barring that, what do I have to do? And yeah. what's, what's my deficit in, at the start of the year? How many do I need to develop over what period of time, at what points in time, in order to hit my number? And yeah. I agree with you. I, I always did that with my territory. It's just start and just work backwards, do the math, and say, okay, this is what the plan has to be. How many opportunities do I need to have? Yeah. And okay, if I improve my win rate, you know, how many, what does that turn out to be and so on? But just set a basis. Here's the, here's the coolest thing about that, right? The sales, everybody's like, oh, sales is hard. It's impossible. I can't get meetings. I can't do this. And not, what I would tell you is blasphemy. Like that, that's, that's so wrong. And here's how you have an inordinate amount of basic technologies available to you to make it really easy for you to get these meetings and for you to get things over the line. Mm -hmm. So if you even think about, right, like the, the way that I got to LinkedIn was by being number one, really loud on the platform. I was always on LinkedIn, shouting my tips, right? Getting visibility. But number two, I used LinkedIn sales navigator, like a champ. And I eventually got there, right? Like being a huge advocate and evangelist for the platform. And then of course got to be a leader for it, which was dream come true. But it is the easiest thing, right? If you think about the relationship capital that you have at your company, if you think about the closed loss opportunities that you have in your CRM, if you think about even the job hoppers, people who are in your best clients who have left those clients and now currently work for a book of business that, that doesn't do any business with you. Right. It, I mean, you've got one home run lead after the other, and you can build these searches and lists so that you're fed leads every single day. We didn't get to 160 clients, by the way, by not having any kind of sales force other than me, who was also doing all of the, the work to deliver everything by not being smart, right? Mm -hmm. By, you know, and we don't, we didn't have a bunch of job hoppers. We didn't have a bunch of relationship capital. We just had me and a few people when we started, yeah. right? So I think it's, it's so easy to build that stuff. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be cold outreach. It doesn't have to be a hundred cold calls a day. Just be smart. And it's always been thus. I mean, that's 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 the thing. Is is even before the technology existed, a system. Always, always, there was always somebody to to go talk to, right? I mean, my yeah. system. I talked to handwritten postcards. Is is I was selling to the construction industry. You know, large computer systems. You know, on premise computer systems with full suite of accounting applications. Is you had to go to the business directory and, and made sort of a, start making a list of construction companies in my geographic territory. Mm -hmm. I would send out roughly 10 postcards a week and I'd follow up like a madman. And those <laughs> postcards were to come to the branch office and see a demonstration. Mm -hmm. Now this was at a time when, you know, 60% of these companies weren't computerized at all. Um, and, but they were, they're interested and they'd come and I'd get two to three a week. And I just did this every week. This was my thing. It was just coming to the branch. See, yeah, we're going to have a little web, a little seminar. I keep saying webinar, a little seminar about job cost accounting, computerized job cost accounting for construction companies. We, you, we you just get consistent on that and you start building up a pipeline and then you start closing deals and you get referrals and it's just, Yeah. We talk, we talk about that all the time. Like sales, sales is about being different, right? There's a fantastic economist um, at Harvard Business School named Michael Porter. Mm -hmm. And he talks about that, that that's, Very that's nice, your, yeah. great, right? And that's your strategy. It's to be different. So great. Fantastic. Like that's the fluffy advice. Great, Sam. How do we do that? And I think you're, you're talking about that right there, Andy, right? Sending out postcards, just thinking about how to be different back then and how to bring those in, but also the process, right? When, when I started on sales, I had no SDR. I had, there was no outreach. I didn't have any of that. You literally had an outlook and my, I think maybe Google sheets at that time. So it was mm -hmm. running a list of who I was reaching out to when the last time was that I did it. Even such simple things as like this, um, think about every time you've gotten either an inbound lead, a referred lead, or you've gotten someone who says, thanks for this, I'm going to get back to you. 
Mm-hmm. And then what happens? We forget to follow up or the person doesn't respond. We go to shiny object to something else and we've forgotten about, I don't know, 80 leads that we were supposed to go after this year. Right. So even just having a system, right? I be, Every time I need something back from someone, internal, external, if it impacts my revenue, I respond and I BCC myself. And sure, there's systems like that and outreach and all that stuff that can help you. But I'm old school. I BCC myself. It sits in my inbox. And then when it's right. just unread, a couple of days, I'm like, hey, Andy, remember those referrals you were going to send us where? Are they are something nicer than that? <laughs> yeah. Hey, dude, where is it? Uh, hey, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I do something very similar, right? I'm sending myself emails all the time. <laughs> I, yeah, I, that's also how I stay on top of my tasks. So it's like, mm-hmm. even if I get a call or somebody sends me a LinkedIn ping and says I have a referral for you or a text message, I'm going to, uh, my, my other dear friend, Andy, uh, I'll say Andy K to not sell him out. He's like, mm-hmm. let me check calendar so I can get a meeting set up on Wednesday. Andy, I'm still waiting for that calendar um, invite to come through. But that's a that's a text. So I send I send myself an email and I say Andy calendars, and then I just follow up incessantly. <laughs> yeah, I, I laugh. There are days I wake up in the morning, like I have a hard time getting to sleep. There could be ten emails from me. <laughs> <laughs> You send you send emails to yourself in the middle of the night when you think of things. Yeah, because I think you totally do that. Well, because I'm never going to remember it. Right? No, I, no, sure, no. I mean, and as you get older, it gets worse, right? And so yeah. I'll say, yeah, no, you got to do this because you're not, never going to remember it. And yeah. then I don't have to worry about it. Then I can go to sleep. It's like you know, clearing my desk at the end of the night. Uh, the best part is when you send your email that you're like, what the hell is this in the morning? I'm like, send Jenny that thing about that one thing we were thinking about yesterday. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, I find I don't have that problem with with uh, emails as much. I do I also, when I'm talking to people, I keep a yeah, pen and paper close by. Yeah. And um, I have more trouble <laughs> deciphering those notes afterwards than I do. What <laughs> the, the hell did I mean by that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so one thing I wanted to get to briefly before we left, because you just talked about LinkedIn, you do training on LinkedIn and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess two questions. One is, yeah, tell people, sort of give them one thing that, that sort of the number one thing a seller should focus on in their profile. Mm. Number one thing you should focus on in your profile. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be mean and say three things. So really quick. Number sure. one, headline. Your role is not your headline. Nobody gives a schnickel. Uh, I was going to use a different word, but I'll keep it well, PC you, you for can. our audience. Yeah, we're, yeah, Nobody we're, gives a shit. Nobody gives yeah. a shit that you're an AE yeah. or VP of sales or CRO or whatever. Let me let me give a shout out to, to Manny Medina, our CEO at Outreach. Go and look at sure. his profile. It doesn't say. He could be super excited and be like, I'm the CEO at Outreach. What's up? But he's not. He talks about the challenge that he solves with this product, which is what we should be thinking about. Right. Um, second most important thing, right? We hook them in. I can solve your challenge. Come look at my profile. Second thing is our about section. So who mm-hmm. are you? And if it's like, I am a world-class leader that has proven method, you know, strategies and nobody cares about that. Who are you? And break it down in three super easy sections. Story about yourself, you know, how you got started in sales, what you love about, what gets you out of bed in the morning, all that jazz. Second section, what your expertise is. So if I spend 30 minutes of my time with you, 30 precious minutes of my time, tell me that it's going to be valuable. Tell me that you know your shit. And then third, tell me who you are outside of the office. Humanize yourself, you know, anything. And if you are not the extroverted, open book, excited bird that I am, um, just think about one or two things that would be, wouldn't be the worst thing to have splashed on the cover of the New York Times. Do you like to read? Are you a traveler? Have you been scuba diving? Something along those lines. And then the third thing, is recommendation. So great. You can solve my challenge. It seems like you're an okay person and we might like to hang out with you on the weekends, but does anybody recommend that I work with you? And those recommendations are so key, right? They can be from, they can, if you just graduated college, it can be from your professors, it can be places you worked, pizza place in college, whatever the hell, mm-hmm. or your peers, former bosses, your clients, clients that have hired you multiple times. All that stuff's really important. The other thing I would say is make sure to build your network. People want to work with people that they can back channel and they can get vouching from. They want to know that you run in the same circles. So let's tell you, when we're sending these messages out, we're trying to cold call, we're trying to do our cold emails, right? If we manage to break through the noise, you're going to get someone who's like, this is interesting. Let me see who this person is and if they're worth my time. And if your profile's in bad shape, they're not going to respond, right? Because they're not going to waste 30 minutes on you if they don't feel choice. like it's going to be worth it. Right. right. They have a choice, right? Have the and, choice. 
So to that point, and that was all good advice. So one last thing I'd ask is, and this is controversial in some circles, mm. is should sellers be creators? Should they be creators? On LinkedIn. Yeah. So I, it's interesting because I think a lot of organizations, it's weird. Or, I hear organizations all the time are now forcing people to post on LinkedIn. Forcing. and. Oh. That's a yeah, or, uh, yeah, and I heard, I even heard that organizations are asking you to cough up your um, username and password over my dead body because you, you have yeah. access to all yes. my personal stuff. No, right. get out of here. Um, yeah. I do. I don't think that they should be creators. I don't think an organization should um, enforce that. But I do think that's an important part of social selling. And I think if you want to be a modern seller, doing that's important. That said, there's a lot of people who are like, I'm. 12 years old, I have no credibility. Who the hell is going to read what I have to write? And here's what I would say. Number one, if you were terrified, dip your toes in the water by commenting on other people's content. Mm-hmm. Find some influencers, find your clients, find your prospects, share something. And don't just say, cool article, man. Write something that shows that you have a brain and what you think. And then you're going to find that it's not so scary. You might even find that you enjoy it, surprisingly. You might even find that people reach out to proactively connect with you. And they're like, that was mm-hmm. a great comment thanks. And you're like, what the hell is happening? And then start posting. And I'll tell you, no matter what your experience level is, you don't, you don't have to have 20 years of experience to do this. You can just teach something that works for you. The key, right. Is the tone. Nobody wants to be told or sold on LinkedIn. They want to be taught. So it's not going like, for instance, I think cold calling is I don't believe in that strategy. Now, do I post about that on LinkedIn and say, I don't believe in cold calling? It's the worst thing ever. No one should do it. No, I would say, here's my perspective on why I'm not a cold caller. Here's here's my advice. Here's my style of why doing it, why I'm not doing it. But I don't yell at you. And I don't tell you that this is the only way. And I certainly don't bark at you in the comments like some creators do when you don't agree with them. But teach them something. Tell them your perspective. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I, I doesn't you know, sort of respond to your comment about creators barking at people in their comments. Um, yeah, I try not to do that. <laughs> it, it's fascinating because especially you've got, you have some interesting characters on LinkedIn. I'll just say that. And entrepreneurs, right, who run small businesses and are counting on clients and they'll post something. Then they'll, they'll post something maybe kind of weird and inappropriate or like that CEO that was crying. You've definitely seen that, Andy, that coming yeah. and endless, yeah. endless means. But here's the thing. You have people who will comment, right? And they're like, I don't know that this jives with me, man. And then you'll have you'll that creator will come back and he will he'll berate you. And I see that all the time. And I'm like, do you all think? Right. You need yeah. offline. You have to tell me who those are. Oh, I will. I will. Here, here pause. And I'll, I've got a list of 48. I'm just kidding. Okay, good. Um, but don't you think people, people read the comments? So think about your character and how that's reflected, not just in the post, but also in the comments. Yeah. I would say for sellers is, is you need to have a point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Point of view. As I said, it's a thinking person's profession to be in sales. What, and, what are you thinking about? And does it relate to something you're doing that relates to your buyers? Because... Yeah. Yeah, 100%, just assume 100% of your your buyers are going to look you up on LinkedIn. Yep. So and what are they, they going to find when they get there? Yeah. you. I think what, what's interesting, too, about what you share, right, and the, the content you share conservatively or generously, let's say, I think there's 20 things in sales that are black and white we never do. We don't insult our clients. We don't show up late to meetings. We don't show up on their doorstep with a contract or hide it in their bushes, right? There's about 20 black and white things that we don't do. Everything else is your own personal style. And that's the stuff that you can post on LinkedIn. I think even for me on the cold calling front, um, I've I've broken 13 sales records and I've never made a cold call. My top performers never picked up the phone ever. And so for people who say like, you're nuts and cold calling is where it's at, I'm like, that's just, that's my style. That's a Sam sales way. It's not right or wrong. It's just how I rock and roll. And whatever, whatever you have, that's your advice and your thoughts are your, your exact style, right? And share, share them out, help others. No, I agree. Yeah, everybody, and this is the point I make in my book is is that there's no one way, right? There's no one right. way. Right, no. So rather than managers spending an enormous amount of time trying to make everybody be the same, learn how to develop the differences. Because yeah. if we have, you know, theoretically, let's say there are 5 million salespeople in the world, there are 5 million unique sales methodologies. <laughs> so, <laughs> Completely. So, yeah, let's let's find a way to support that. 
because you're going to get better production from that than to try to take somebody and make them be something they're not. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. Take what you yeah. like, leave, leave the rest, right? Build your own style. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, you know, get back to the topic. LinkedIn is, is, you know, I post a lot and, and yeah, I go through periods where I've got a troll that's, you know, <laughs> and it's amazing. It's, you know, some young, per, relatively young person convinced I'm just crazy. Right. No, absolutely wrong. And it's like, Oh, I respect that. I don't have to go say they're, you know, I just, I might say I disagree on a couple of things, but I'm not, you know, indulge in name calling or anything like that. Um, I think that's what LinkedIn should be is this place where people feel free to express ideas right? and not, you know, yeah, you're going to be always going to be judged. It's just the way it is in the world these days, but is yeah. Lighten up. I mean, I still, every, it seems like every six months, you know, you see these, Posts going around, it's like, well, I think we should put a rating system on LinkedIn posts because you know, I just think some of this advice is so bad. And it's like, well, bad for whom? Right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it doesn't work for you. And maybe I, I will read it and say, well, this, this really is batshit crazy stuff. But maybe it works for that person. <laughs> you never, and you never know. You never know. Right. So, yeah, I would never go on and say, yeah, this absolutely would never work. It's like, yeah, maybe it does. Totally. Right. And I think you, you have to think about that, that like the, there, again, every, every person has their, their own perspective and their own style. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. Right. I think the the problem I have too, is when, if we're thinking about going on there and being creators and giving our, our messaging out, sometimes we're falsifying the following or the engagement we have. So on the topic of LinkedIn, um, some of your listeners might not know that there's a whole trend on buying followers. Do you know about this, Andy? No, but I mean, I don't, doesn't surprise me because people have been doing it on social platforms for a long time. It's, it's amazing though, right? And so you think, think about this, just a word, word of advice for when we look at individuals, don't be so caught up in the followers because I, I have 45,000 followers, which I have slowly built over the course of my career. Um, but I could go have 145,000 tomorrow, right? If I wanted to, I could just buy them, but look, look for the engagement now, you know, exactly. look to see, right. What's that ratio like, but more than anything, just look to see. If that, if their advice resonates with you and if it doesn't, don't, don't call them out, just bail and don't engage with them. Yeah. No, it's such a good, good piece of advice, right? Is, is, yeah, you start to see this in the podcast world where people uh, exaggerate the size of their, their audience because they've bought followers, they bought listeners, but then you go to their LinkedIn profile and think, oh yeah, they've got no followers and no engagement. So (laughs) do they really have that many listeners? It was my favorite to see that from LinkedIn experts. (laughs) Yeah. Not my job to police that. (laughs) So, all right, Sam, we're going to wrap up. Uh, Where can people connect with you if they want to connect? Although I know LinkedIn, but you're going to be shocked. Yeah. LinkedIn. Um, Come in, come and say hello on our website, uh, samsalesconsulting.com. We have a great newsletter. We have great subscriptions that you can buy to learn everything that we teach for absolutely no money almost. Um, But we also have a great newsletter, great events. Uh, We have a women's leadership group once a month. All of it is free. Um, So come in, come and hang out with us. We'd, We'd love to see you and please say hello on LinkedIn. Perfect. All right, Sam, thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Sam McKenna, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.